the book of Galatians, uh, in which uh, this favorite verse is found in, is a New Testament book. It was a letter written by the Apostle Paul. As Paul wrote to a church, it's a church that he had, had founded on a missionary journey, and um, there were some uh, issues that he wanted to uh, deal with. And he talks about um, freedom in Christ, and talks about that it is Christ only, it's not Jesus plus works. And there was an event that took place that um, helped uh, lead in to the verse that we're getting ready to look at. And that is that there was always this concern about the Jewish people thinking that uh, you had to keep everything in the law, uh, circumcision, the dietary laws, all the feasts. You had to keep all of these things in order to be right with God. But when Jesus came, he said it's grace, it's Christ only. And so um, Peter went to Antioch and was there with some other Gentile believers, and he sat and had meals with them. For some Jews, this is not something that you would do, but not only do you sit there, but you realize that they may be eating some foods that when you grew up in, uh, in your Judaism that you didn't feel you were supposed to eat, but you would eat these with these people, and we're all one in Christ, and so Peter was eating with them, and then uh, all of a sudden there was a group of men that came from Jerusalem. They were called the Judaizers, and they were people that they would say, yes, you can accept Christ, but you also, if you're going to be a, a Gentile, non-Jew, and make a decision for Christ, you need to keep the rules, some of the rules that we kept in order to truly be saved, circumcision, dietary laws. And so all of a sudden when these people came in town, Peter's sitting there eating with these guys. He kind of got it, uh, got a little intimidated, got a little weak. And when the next meal came around, he wouldn't eat at their table. He'd go over and eat at the Judaizers' table. And so everybody knew what was going on. And all the Gentiles noticed this, that, hey, we're not good enough for you now. Uh, you, you can be like us, but now we have to be like you. Is that what has to happen? And so the apostle Paul, he confronted Peter on this and told him, that what he was doing was wrong. And Paul was correct to do that. And so then he went a little bit further in Galatians chapter 2 to explain exactly what he means. So if you have your Bibles open to uh, Galatians chapter 2, and if you look at the 16th verse, as you start and you look at the 16th verse, this is what he says. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now about four times there, there's a word justified that is used in there. Justified is a legal term, which means acquittal. You're acquitted. You're forgiven. There's no charge against you. In fact, justification is even a stronger word than forgiveness. If you do something wrong and then uh, you go before a judge or, and someone says, hey, we forgive you, uh, it means that um, uh, you're not going to have to pay any penalty. But what justification means is not only do I forgive you, but we completely wipe away the charge. It's over and done with. And so what Paul is saying is that we are justified by faith, not by works. And to be justified in a spiritual sense means that we are seen as righteous in God's eyes. 
See, the big dilemma for all of us as humans is one day when we die and we stand before God, what will we say or what will we do? We are imperfect individuals who stand before a holy God. What do we say? What do we do? What will be our fate? What Paul is saying here, to be justified, to be seen righteous in God's eyes, it is based off of two things. It is based off an event and an experience. And the reason that we know that we have to do this, and there's a verse that I wanted to share with you, it's Psalm 143.2. 143.2. Maybe you go back one day, I'm sorry. And that is, in the psalm it says this, you enter not into judgment with your servant. This is speaking to God, for no one living is righteous before you. No one living is righteous before you. So we know that we've all sinned. And so as we stand before God, how can we be justified? You can be justified because there's an event and there's an experience. The event is that Jesus Christ came and he died on a cross. The event is that Jesus took all the sins of all of us and of all the world and he went to a cross and he died. He's the only person that kept the entire law. He never sinned. And though he was perfect as the Son of God, he came and he died and he took that sin penalty from us. But you see, that's the event. But then there has to be the experience. And the experience is that you have to accept Christ through faith. And so it's not just the fact that he died on the cross. It is that you and I have to make an individual decision to say, I accept that offer. I accept the fact that he died on the cross for my sins. And when that happens, then we become right with God. Romans chapter 3, 23 through 25, just to me, summarizes the whole thing. Follow with me on this. He says, for everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. And people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. That's the gospel. And as Paul is writing to this church in Galatia, who were starting out so good, believing in faith in Christ and the grace of God, there are groups of people that have come in to say, no, it's faith plus works. And he's telling them it is not. And he goes on into verse 17, he says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ in a servant of sin? Is Christ a promoter of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. So if I came to you and I said, it's grace only, then I tear that down. Now I'm going works works and grace. He says, that is just wrong. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. For through the law, I died to the law. What he is saying is that the law itself is not bad. The law, it is good. Because what it does is uh, it tells me what I need to do right. And it was because of the law that I realize that I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. I need to repent. 
And see, unless I see a standard that says this is what you're supposed to do, I have no idea when I'm right, when I'm wrong. But God's, but the law, you take the Old Testament, you take the Ten Commandments and the other laws in there. When I read those laws, it shows me I have come short. He says, and I died to the law. And when I died to the law, I did that so I might live to Christ. And then he summarizes it in verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That phrase, I have been crucified with Christ. The tense of that verb is what's called a perfect tense. And because of a perfect tense, it means it was an action that took place at one time, and it has continuous results. I have been crucified with Christ. It took place one time. But yet those results, the influence, continue on and on and on. That is his salvation, his conversion experience. I have been crucified with Christ. If you know the story of the Apostle Paul, his life was one where he was a, he was a Pharisee. He was a strong Jewish uh, believer in Judaism. And, um, and he didn't like these Christians. He didn't like the fact that Jesus said that, that you didn't have to keep all those ceremonial laws and all the man-made laws they had. And so he would persecute Christians and he would even kill Christians. And so he had papers to go to a city called Damascus. And as he was going towards Damascus, God came to him in an incredible bright light, a blinding light, and he spoke to him. And Jesus himself, the risen Lord, spoke to him. And when he spoke to him, at that moment, Paul says, Lord, I am yours. I'll go wherever you want me to go and do what you want me to do. And from that experience, he became crucified with Christ. And then it had abiding results. I have been crucified with Christ. So what does that mean when it says, I have been crucified with Christ? Well, I just want you to write down about five things. First thing is this, die to your sins. When it says that I have been crucified with Christ, it means that you have died to your sins. When you think about Jesus Christ, he was crucified for our sins. And when he was crucified for our sins, and then when we receive him as our Savior, we have also died to our sins. He paid the penalty for our sins. I have died to my sins. My sins have no claim on my life. I have exchanged my sins for Christ's righteousness. What an amazing exchange. To where Jesus says, if you receive me as Savior, I will take your sins and the penalty of those sins, and I will take them on myself, and in return, I'm going to give you my righteousness. And when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ in you. Not because of anything that you've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. Now, we are all sinners, and we are all going to die. And the question is, will you die in your sins... And stand before a holy God and then be judged to spend eternity separated from him? Or 
Will you say, I'm going to take my, take those sins and place them on Jesus Christ. And then when I die, I die and I die not in my sins because they have already been taken care of. And I then stand before a holy God and he sees me as righteous because he sees me through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. My sins, I have died to my sins. Then you've died to yourself is number two. I've died to myself. And what Paul is saying is that when I, when I had been crucified with Christ, my old self died. That old, cantankerous, pharisaical, law-dependent, Christ, Christian, persecutor, violent, evil, murdering Paul died. He died. And it's a new me. It's a new self. Because I have died to self. It is no longer I who live. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. There's a radical transformation that has taken place. Your old plans, your old goals, your old life, your old relationships, they all died. And there was a transformation that took place and there was a new you. I've died to my sins and I've died to myself. And it is a new self. And it is a self that we'll talk about a little bit later that wants to live for Christ. But I've died to my sins. I died to myself. Whenever I think of that picture, I have been crucified with Christ. I see the cross and I see Christ. And then I see myself. Knowing that it's not that I'm literally crucified with Christ. But it literally that I have died as he died. He died for my sins. I died from my sins. My sins are taken care of. I died to the old self. It's not the old Danny Wood. It's the new Danny Wood. It's the one who Christ lives in. That is who I am when I am crucified with Christ. And he says, I don't live. I don't live. He says, but Christ lives in me. You die to your sins. You die to yourself. And third of all, you share in Christ's sufferings. You share in Christ's sufferings. Whenever you think about the word crucified, you think about suffering. That is one of the most horrible deaths that anyone could imagine. And for six hours, suspended between heaven and earth. And, and then all the suffering that took place before that, the physical suffering. And then there's the emotional and the spiritual suffering. And it says that we are, as we're crucified with Christ, we are to share in his sufferings. And Paul goes a little further in Philippians 3.10. He says this. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This is his desire. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of that resurrection and I want to share in his sufferings. If you turn back a couple of pages, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, he says, We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed but we're not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. We are always given our life over to him. We are willing to share in his sufferings. Stephen Alford made a great statement. 
He says, Christians adore the cradle of Christ and they await the coming of Christ, but they abhor the cross of Christ. I mean, man, we love the cradle of Christ. We love that Christmas story. And we love to get over the book of Revelation and know that we're going to be awaiting his second coming. But we abhor the cross. We don't want to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow him. We don't want to deal with the sufferings. Yeah, I've been reading that there was a, um, you've been reading, I know, and keeping up in the news about ISIS. And these are just evil people. Just evil people over there in the Middle East that are just butchering and killing Christians in Syria and Iraq. And, and it's just, it's horrible. And you read about what they're doing and you read about the, um, the believers there and the stands that they are making as people come in their villages and come to their homes and they're asking them, uh, will you receive Christ or will you renounce Christ? And, and you make the decision that you or, or, your, or your family, they're going to take you all out. And there are people that are making those stands and people that are running and, and going up to the mountains and, and just in horrible conditions. And there are people that are going to, that have said, well, what would happen if, if ISIS began to make its way over here? And, and what would happen if they, they came in and let's say into our city, into our area? Yeah, I did some thinking about that and you're not going to like the answer I'm going to give you, but my first response is, what would change? What would change? Because, you see, the reason that they're killing people is because they're making a stand for Christ. As I began to think about where many of us are in our walk right now, you know, if you don't stand up for Christ at your work, if you don't stand up for Christ around the coffee machine, if you don't stand up for Christ at school, you don't stand up for Christ on the team, you're too scared to, uh, to approach an elected official or stand up to a school board or even to a science teacher, then why do you think all of a sudden when there's a gun to your head or a noose around your neck that now you're going to make that stand for Christ? See, I don't understand that. Because if we're not willing to make the stands for him in everyday life, then what makes us think that when the pressures come and maybe even our life is on the line, that we're going to say, oh, now it's time. Now I'm going to step up for it. I think it starts with the day-to-day things. And when we make those stands for Christ and we're willing to suffer for him and it may mean that you don't get the promotion that you wanted to get or it may mean that you're not going to be able to keep that job or it may even mean that you don't make that team because you made that stand for Christ. It's all going to be worth it. I have been crucified with Christ. It means that I will share in his sufferings. I hear that crucified with Christ. And, um, and when Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, it takes him back to his um, conversion experience. I, I think about that when we talk about people making decisions for Christ, the phrases I love to use or what Scripture uses is born again. Hey, you're born again. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? That's a great picture. Like a new baby, you're born again. Uh, you're adopted into the family of God. How cool is that? You're outside the family, then all of a sudden you're adopted into God's family. You're part of God's family. I love those, and I'll keep using those. But when I think about this, crucified with Christ, that's a strong image, isn't it? That's a strong image. You see, you can be born into a family or adopted into a family and be born again and have a bunch of people around you and everything, and you can become a prodigal. 
And, and you can begin to move away and disappoint people or make bad choices. And, and these things happen. They just happen in life. He said, well, they're part of the family, but they're kind of off over here doing this over there. But when you look at crucified with Christ, what do you think? Of? What, is, what do you picture in your mind? I want you to picture this in your mind right now. When you think about things, I am crucified with Christ. Yeah, I, all I can think of is I just see myself on a cross next to Christ. I am crucified with Christ. And when I put that picture in my mind, that's a picture of no turning back. That's the picture of putting your hand to the plow and not looking back. That's the picture of Cortez going to get the Aztec treasure when he told the guys, hey, burn the boats because we're not going back. That's such a strong image to me when it says, I'm crucified with Christ. I'm not not going to be turning one way or the other. I'm going to stay with him. And I'm just not going to be one of these check-the-box Christians. I'm not just going to be one that says, hey, I'd like to be a part of that church. I know the thing I'm supposed to do is we just check this little box and do that. It is I have been crucified with Christ. I have cast my lot towards him. And there's no turning back. I die to my sins. I die to myself. I will share in his sufferings. Wouldn't it be great to be so dialed in to Christ. I mean just dialed in to what he wants you to do. And I um, uh, I, I love the story and I've told this uh, a time or so when, uh, when Lauren was about three years old and uh, we were living over in Louisiana and, and, uh, and we were going to drive to another location and as we were driving our stopping point was Montgomery which is where Janice's uh, sister and her mom were living. And as we got there, it had been leaving after Sunday, been a long day for me, did a long drive, was tired, Lauren about three years old or so, and, and uh, we went upstairs, and there was a bedroom here, and there's a bedroom here, and then there's a bath that joins the two. And the very last words that Janice said to Lauren, as I slept in this bedroom and Janice and Lauren slept over there, she says, do not wake your father up in the morning, because uh, we got a long day ahead of us, he had a long night last night. Just don't wake your your dad up. It's the last thing she heard before the lights went out. And so that morning, early that morning, I'm sound asleep. My head is turned this way. I mean, it's like drool on the pillow sleep. I mean, I am out. I am out. Have you ever been asleep and felt the presence of someone there? You ever ever done that? You kind of, you know something's there? She's bending down, looking at me. And I start to open up an eye, and she, in a whispering voice, says, Daddy, if I flush the toilet, will it wake you up? <laughs> you know, I'm going, no, that's okay. Yeah, go on and flush that. You know what I think about with that story? The last thing she heard was, don't wake your daddy up. The first thought she had in the morning was what? Don't wake my daddy up. Wouldn't it be wonderful as believers if we could live in that type of childlike faith? To where the last thing we heard at night was what God had to say in his word and to what I wanted to do with him. And when I woke up the next morning, that's the first thing that's on my thought process. And that is, I have been crucified with Christ. I've died to my sins. I've died to myself. Whatever it is, Lord, I'm ready to share in your sufferings if that's what needs to happen. Let me tell you the fourth thing. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. 
I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. The fourth thing is this, welcome the Holy Spirit. You need to welcome the Holy Spirit into your life. What happens is that he says that when you die to yourself, it brings up Christ to take residency in your life through the person of the Holy Spirit. And then the Lord begins to live out his life through you day by day. T.B. Maston made this statement. He says, the test of our lives is not so much what we believe about the historic Jesus as it is our relation to the resurrected Christ. It is our relation to the resurrected Christ. It's more than just head knowledge about Jesus. It is the resurrected Christ, my life with him, my relationship with him. You welcome the Holy Spirit. When you are crucified with Christ, God's Spirit comes to live within you. And when God's Spirit comes to live within you, there is no longer is it going to be Danny-centered, but it is going to be Christ-centered. You surrender your will to Jesus. Whatever Jesus says to do, you're going to do that, knowing that he wants the best for you. Now, you read this and you think the union that Paul has with Christ, when he says, I have been crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but it is Christ that lives within me. It is that tight union. Too often we'll read the Bible and we'll read that statement and we will say, well, that is something just for super Christians and disciples, but that's not for me. Guess what, folks? That's the norm. That's the norm. I am crucified. I have been crucified with Christ. I don't live any longer. It is Christ that lives in me. And there's such a union there that I do whatever he says to do. And there is a transformation that takes place in your life. The old Danny is dead. The new Danny is here. The old you is dead. The new you is alive. And you're living for Christ. I love Johnny Hunt. Johnny Hunt's pastor in the First Baptist Church, Woodstock. And uh, a couple months ago in a sermon, he was telling a story. If you know anything about Johnny's background, uh, Johnny was kind of raised on a rough side of town. And he played in all the pool halls and was a heavy drinker and uh, got arrested for a couple things, kind of juvenile type things. And then when he received Christ as a young man, boom, it was an incredible transformation. And he said, just to give an illustration of the transformation, he said, I was about a 23-year-old pastor in Wilmington, North Carolina, where I had been growing up. And uh, the chief of police had a massive heart attack. And as he was laid up in the hospital bed, there's one person that he wanted to come talk to him. He said it was Johnny Hunt. And it's funny when he told the story. He says, now I know you in the congregation want to know, how did the chief of police know me? (laughs) It's because he had arrested me uh, a couple of times. And so Johnny Hunt is a young pastor. Young pastor walks into this man's room on his deathbed. And he says, this is why I want to talk to you. I knew you before. And I know you now afterwards. Something happened in your life that changed you. Will you tell me what that is? And Johnny says that he shared the gospel with this chief of police. He prayed to receive Christ, and as Johnny walked out the door and down the hall, this man died. He said, I was the last person he ever talked to. And what Johnny says is we have a responsibility to share our faith wherever we are. But the other part of that story is what this man saw was a transformation. He saw a different life. I had been crucified with Christ. And if Johnny Hunt was here, he would say, it's no longer Johnny Hunt who lives, but Christ lives within me. And because they saw that transformation, this man says, you need to come in and talk to me. 
because something has changed in your life. And that's where we come to the final point, and this is live by faith in Christ. Live by faith in Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. I don't live anymore. Christ lives within me. But the life that I do live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Church, this is where our challenge is, is live by faith with Christ. Every moment, every day, through every situation, live by faith in Christ. And you trust Christ to live his life through you. This is what Paul was saying. I am crucified with Christ. But every day I'm living with Christ. And Christ is going to live through me. And you know why I'm doing this? It's because he loved me and he gave himself for me. I'm living by faith in Christ. And I thought about this this week. And the more I thought about it, Paul was a man that was not accustomed to living by faith. He said, oh, he was a big believer in God and the Old Testament writings that we have. And I was saying, I understand. But that life that he lived was usually based on laws and rules and regulations. And they had all these laws, all these rules, all these regulations. And so when you woke up in the morning, it's like you had a checklist of, I got to do this and this and this and this and this and this. And if I can check all these boxes, I'll be a good boy and God will be pleased with me. That doesn't take a lot of faith, folks. Just think if your pastor sent you an email when you woke up in the morning, here was your checklist of things to do. That's it. You do that, you will have accomplished what you're supposed to. That's not faith. That's just a formula. But because of what Christ has done for us, and when we die to ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to come into our lives, and then we live by faith, it means that every day is a new day with him. Every day there are new challenges or new excitements, and I'm going to live by faith in Christ, and I'm going to depend on him. I want to live according to his word, but my whole life is just not checking boxes. My whole life is being wide open to whatever it is, God, you want me to do. Where will it be this week that God leads you? Who will God lead you to come and talk to? Who will God lead you to where you just have an open heart and open spirit to where someone crosses your path and you're ready and you're able to talk to them and to share with them? Where will God lead you this week that may be a dark hole that will be so difficult, but because of your faith in Christ, he'll give you the strength to continue to go on? See, every day is different. And he says, the life I now live, it's not the law. I live by faith in Jesus Christ. Let me show you the very last verse. It's verse 21. And he says, I do not nullify the grace of God for justification were through the law. For if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Understand this. If we add anything to salvation, we add anything to grace, then Christ died for no purpose. He would have the most unexplainable death of anyone in history. Why in the world did he die if that was not enough for our salvation? So never add anything to it. It's Christ only. It's Christ alone. I have been crucified with Christ. I hope that today you can make that same statement. 
you can look at that verse and say, I have been crucified with Christ. And you know, I don't live any longer, but it is Christ that lives in me. But the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. May that be our challenge to know that we have been crucified with Christ. Some of you today say, Danny, I've never been there. I've never done that. This could be a day to where you could make that decision. It says Paul, he made that decision. As soon as he was confronted with the truth, he made that decision. For you today, you're being confronted with that truth. And you may have never done that. You may have grown up in this church. You may have been walking along, checking boxes, thinking you're doing the right thing, but yet you have never come to that point where you have been crucified with Christ. Today could be that day that you get right with God. Just a moment, I'm going to close my time. When I close my time, uh, Michael's going to lead us as, as, as we sing. And when you sing, I want you to listen to those words, let those words resonate in your heart, and I want you to be praying and saying, God, have I ever done that? If I've never done that, then today could be your day to do that. And then as we get ready to close our service out, I'm going to give you some instructions about some people that will be here at the front. And as everyone else is walking out, if you want to come and talk to us, we would love to see that happen. But at this time, I want to ask you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to think about the truth of the message. Have you been crucified with Christ? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity of your word. And I thank you for the grace of Jesus and for the grace that is given to us. And it is because of your mercy that we are able to become your children and that we're able to accept the sacrifice that Jesus has made on the cross. May we walk from this place in just a few moments, different people, because we better understand and we're better committed to what it means to be crucified with Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.